Well, welcome to week 30 of our Believe series as we unpack what it means to live out the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. This is the last of our 30 weeks um, officially. Next week we will do a summary recap week, but this is the last of the 30 attributes or topics that we'll be looking at. And um, as we've been looking at these, you know, it's often been said that actions speak louder than words. So after spending the first 10 weeks focusing on how to renew our minds and think differently, we spent 10 weeks focusing on how that changes our thinking and how that should change how we act. And together, these um, change thinking and beliefs, okay, would change our actions or behaviors. I like to think of it as beliefs and behaviors. Um, they go together, B words, right? So we change our, our beliefs and our behaviors, okay? And as that happens, then we've been discussing in these last 10 weeks um, that it literally changes who you are and what you are becoming. So beliefs, behaviors, and becoming, the three Bs, right? Or think, act, be. Same thing. If you're truly renewing your mind and living it out, then you're truly becoming more like Jesus every day. And that's the goal, guys, that we become more like Christ, all right? This is only accomplished, though, through, as you can see on the screen, the presence of God working in your life. If the Holy Spirit is not in your life, which would mean you're not a Christian, according to Romans 8, um, then this can't happen. But if the Holy Spirit is in your life, okay, and he came at the moment you became a Christian, got saved, born again, etc., um, then the Holy Spirit does this work, okay? John 15 teaches us that you've got to stay connected to God. And when you stay connected to God, he does the work, and it flows through us, and then you end up with the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, which is kind of what we've been unpacking the last 10 weeks. Most of this is just the fruit of the Spirit, that God does the work in us as we yield our lives, surrendered, which we're going to talk a bit about today, to him. And through that process, God actually does the work um, for us. So today we want to look at the idea of humility. So humility is our, our word for today. And as we look at this, uh, the terminology for humility, um, it appears almost a hundred times in the Bible, uh, referencing multiple different meanings. Humility reflects godly character in um, Psalm 45.4. That's not up on the screen, but you can jot it down. Um, even Jesus was humble. We'll look at Matthew 11.29 in a little bit. But it also is associated with wisdom and meekness. Um, paradoxically, the humble in Scripture deserve honor, and the humbled will be exalted. We're going to talk quite a bit about that in a minute, this reversal that takes place. And so it's important for us to understand that. Um, I want to make another connection, too, with the word uh, humility. Last week, uh, who remembers what we talked about last week? What was our topic? Okay, gentleness. Okay? I think kindness and goodness was a couple weeks before that. Actually, both of those are connected. Okay? Kindness. Okay? But last week we were talking about uh, gentleness. The word for gentleness is actually connected, okay, with the idea of humility. In fact, one or two of the verses that we will have on the screen today we mentioned last week also because the words are so closely connected. Now, they're different words. But they're very, very closely connected. Same semantic domains, if uh, you're familiar with that terminology. And so this idea, then, of humility, you can almost view it as a part two of last week's. All right? And so let's define what it means, okay? The Hebrew word translated as humility is very similar um, to another Hebrew word that means to be afflicted. So in the Old Testament thought, humility was closely associated with individuals who were poor and afflicted. If you look on the screen here, the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. Now, let's take what I just said and what's on the screen and kind of put them together and unpack it for a second here. So the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride. So what do you not have in your life if you have humility? Arrogance and pride. You don't have arrogance and pride. So if you have arrogance and pride, can you be humble? No, they're opposites, okay? And the second part of this says having an accurate estimate of one's worth. Now, as we talk about humility, I need us to understand something. And this should be in line with what we talked about the last few weeks, okay? We are important because we're made in the image of God. He cares about us. Okay, he died on the cross for us. He does care. You have worth. Okay? But here's our problem. We take our worth and we elevate it 
to a position where it shouldn't be. And that's what's called the pride and the arrogance, where we've elevated our worth to a position that it should not be. And so this last phrase on the screen is having an accurate estimate of your worth. So you've got to understand that you are worth something, okay? But we need to stop thinking we're worth more than what we think we are. Does that make sense? Ah, good. So with that being said, this idea of affliction is connected with this. Now, think through this. What's one way to help somebody realize if they think they're worth this, but they're really worth this, in a sense, you have to do what? Yeah, you got to knock them down a little bit, right? Yeah, that sounds kind of harsh, right? Okay, but see, that's actually what, what God has to do when we get arrogant and proud. Because he's got to help us understand. He's got to take the blinders off our eyes. He's got to put us right in front of the mirror so we can actually see, yes, ourselves and get an accurate estimate of your worth instead of an inflated. So when Paul talks about being puffed up, well, puffed up means inflated, right? So, yeah, you're inflated your worth. You've puffed up your worth, okay? You've become arrogant or proud, and we don't want that. So an example of this, okay, is in 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, 28. Now, so one of two things can happen here. You, you can either have too high of an opinion of yourself, and you've got to be knocked down. The other aspect is that you can understand that you are um, already lowly or humble, and God can lift you up. So in 2 Samuel, he says, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your help exalts me. All right? Now, this is a good example of a, a verse that you've got to think about it for a minute. That's called meditation Okay, in Scripture. You meditate on the verse to figure out what it means. Because at first glance, you might look at this and think, This has nothing to do with what you're talking about, Kevin. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Okay, So David is talking to God. All right, So God is the shield of his salvation. Well, shield, what does that do? It's protect. So he's, he's the protector. He is God's, God is his salvation. And then the next part says, your help exalts me. And it's that word exalts that we want to focus on for a minute. Because exalts means to do what? To lift up. So if you're being lifted up, that means you were, you were what before? Below, exactly. So you were lowly or below, and what word that's our topic for today means below or lowly? Humble or humility, okay? So the idea of humility and humble has to do with lowliness, okay? Lowering ourselves instead of exalting ourselves. So instead of putting yourself up here, you put yourself down here. As we'll see in a little bit, we let God wait. This verse says that who exalted David? God exalted David. David was in a low position, and God exalted him. Now, David spoke this. If you go back, okay, maybe this week, and read 2 Samuel chapter 22, read the whole chapter, and what you'll find is that that is actually a um, song that David wrote after God rescued him from King Saul. So King Saul's been chasing him around, hunting him, okay, and what this verse is saying is that God protected him, and David had been in a lowly position, being chased around, and now God lifts him up out of that position. Does that make sense? And so that's the idea that we see in this passage. So the word means the opposite of exalts. All right? So this is an opposite example passage, okay? So God took him out of that place and put him on a solid rock, so to speak. And David recognizes that he was in a low situation, and God took him and put him in a high situation okay so that's a good example of david recognizing that we need to recognize that in our own life all right don't try to put yourself in the high position you put yourself in the low position and you wait for god to put you in the high position all right so what god desires most is not outward sacrifice okay remember king saul tried to do that he's like oh i'll go give a sacrifice even though god said wait no that's not what god wants what he wants is a humble spirit okay look at micah chapter 6 verse 8 Micah 6, 8 says, um, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, we're going to talk about that in two weeks, to love kindness, we've already talked about that, and to walk humbly with your God. And there's our word. He wants you to walk humbly, lowly with God. Now let me, let me focus on those last three words for just a second too. With 
your God. So he wants you to be with God, all right? And as part of that, he is wanting you to be not by yourself. Remember our diagram up in the front of our, our series with the presence of God in the middle of it. All right? That's with God. Look at the second to last word. What is that? Your. Your. Okay, let me make a, a note to some of you, okay? To all of you, but in the Bible, sometimes people will talk about my God or your God. Listen, if you're not a believer, okay, God is still God, but he's not your God in a personal, possessive way. See, walk humbly with your God. Who is your God? Everybody has a God. Everybody is serving someone or something. So we want to walk humbly with your God, the creator of the universe. All right? And so that's what God is calling us to do. This is related closely with David and Saul because Saul, as I mentioned, had offered a sacrifice to God, but he had to disobey God to do it. Think about this, okay? Especially my students, my young kids here. God does not want you to give him a sacrifice, okay, a gift, let's say, if you have to disobey to do it. All right? You need to think that through. You don't disobey to do something right. So I was talking to one of you guys a few weeks ago, and I said it's always right to do the right thing, okay? Bingo, okay? All right, so it's always right to do the right thing. So we don't disobey to do what we think is the right thing. No, it's not the right thing if you have to disobey to do it. Are you all with me? Okay? So God wanted us all to trust him and to submit to him and to obey him. In other words, be humble and not try to be in charge, all right? Trying to be in charge when someone else is already in charge is not being humble, okay? Trying to be in charge when someone else is already in charge is not being humble. Because what are you trying to do? What are you, okay, right, which means you're putting yourself where? High, okay, exactly. You put yourself up high. But to be humble means to put yourself low, okay? Very good. So let's talk about humility before God, okay? Humility before God. And Proverbs 15, it says, The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, and humility comes before honor. So what, what God is saying, okay, <clears throat> is that if you want honor, you first have to do what? Uh huh. Fear him and humble yourself. Exactly. Okay? Great exaltation, this is worth writing down. Great exaltation comes after great humility or hum humiliation. Now, we'll talk about the difference between those two at the very end, but before great humility, okay? You humble yourself before honor, all right? You lower yourself before you are lifted up. Now, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 5, very famous passage. We've talked about this before. But in Isaiah... Isaiah realizes how awesome God is, okay? And then he realizes something about himself. This is what I said a minute ago. Sometimes God's got to put you in front of the mirror so you can see what your real worth is. Now watch this. He says, woe is me, for I am, what's the next word? Ruined. Whoa, why is he ruined? Because I am a man of unclean lips. So he, he's ruined because of someone else or himself? Himself. Okay, listen, guys. When you realize, okay, who you really are, you'll be ruined because you realize you're a mess. He says, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So not only, not only is he ruined, but so is everybody else. So it's not like, oh, you're picking on me. No. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, right? We're all sinners. Not just you, not me. I'm not being arrogant. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. That's why we all need the grace of God. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So what helps Isaiah realize that he's a sinner? He saw God. All right, listen. This is not original with me. You know what all of our number one problem is? Here's your problem. Your problem is you don't realize how big God is. Because the second you realize how big God is, you realize how small you are. You realize how much of a sinner you are. You realize how great and awesome and grand that God is. You also realize how gracious he is. We're not going to read through the rest of this because we've studied Isaiah 6 before, but right after this, what happens? He realizes how messed up he is. He's ruined. And what does God do, though? God sends an angel with a hot coal to do what? To take away his sin. 
And then Isaiah says, hey, send me. I'll go. I'll partner with you, God. I'll go work with you. So it all comes together. It's a package deal. Isaiah recognized he's a sinner and he was separated from God. And he knew he wasn't better than God. He understood that his job was to listen and obey God. Okay? Similarly, all right, when Peter is faced with the power of Jesus, okay, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, <clears throat> here you have Peter. It says, Simon Peter, okay, he's there and he sees what Jesus has done. Jesus gives him this great catch of fish. What happens? He realizes the power and the magnificence of Jesus. He realizes his own weakness and immediately how sinful he is as well. Now, we know that Peter was not a perfect man, okay? Even after he believed in Jesus, he sometimes failed. But we also know that Peter lived his life for Jesus and not for himself. Why? Because look what's on the screen. He recognized his sinfulness and the greatness of God. Now, the thing is, this was just an action that happened uh, kind of in the everyday life. You know, they can't catch any fish, and Jesus says, hey, throw the net here, and you'll catch a whole bunch of fish. And what happens? He catches a whole bunch of fish. And, and Peter's like, whoa, it's like Jesus makes the fish jump in the net. Can Jesus do that? Yeah, yeah he can. And when he sees that, and he realizes, wow, this is not just any ordinary man. This is an extraordinary man, a super ordinary man. Of course, we learn later, he's not just a man. He's God-man, all right? And so when he realizes that, he realizes how sinful he is, how separated he is from God. What separates you from God? Your sin does, okay? You are separated from God. What does separated mean? Well, holy actually means separated. So why are you not holy and God is holy? Because he's perfect, because he's so different than you, all right? The first step in, in humility, recognizing your own sinfulness and your separateness from God. Okay, You're separated from God. Now, it's also important to understand that you don't have to be separate or inferior to someone to be humble. In other words, okay, now Melissa and I are married, right? Okay, so in that sense, we're not separated from each other, okay? Yeah, we're two separate people, right? But we get married, we become one, okay? So we're together, right? Um, but I'm called to be humble before her and her to be humble before me and both of us to be humble before God, right? So in the two examples I just gave you, okay, there, there's separation between them and God, and that relates to our sin and some other things, all right, that God is so much greater. But humility is not just about this separation, Okay, And so, Melissa and I are two human beings, both made in the image of God. So in that sense, we have equal standing, right? Right. So God made us both, and so we're, just, we're two people, equal, right, before God. Um, but God calls me to be humble, and God calls her to be humble, right? And so, what does humble mean? It means to lower yourself, right? Put yourself under. And so that's what we're supposed to do. Now, <clears throat> when, when you start out being humble before God... Then you can be humble before each other. Think about it. If you've already lowered yourself before the greatest being there is, right? Well, then you can lower yourself below someone below that too, can't you? Right? So, now this might be crazy, okay? But Jesus, even though he's God, all right? This is going to get a little crazy with the Trinity. So Jesus, even though he's God, what did he do? He humbled himself to the Father. How did the Son humble himself to the Father? Even though, now get this. The Son and the Father are equal. They're both God. Okay? So you get, they're equals, right? So me and Melissa are equals, but this is way different equals, right? This is like God equals, like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? But the Son humbles himself under the Father to come to earth as a man, and as you repeatedly read in the Gospels, to obey what the Father says. That's humility. But of equals, he chose to submit himself, even though they're God, both, all right? So, because being humble doesn't change who Jesus is, it actually demonstrates the great love that he has. So it shows what's inside of him. Remember way back in the first couple of weeks, we talked about God, we talked about the Trinity, and we talked about the relationship that they have? So his humility actually shows 
the relationship he has and the level of love that he has, and that comes out of him. And guess what? That's what's supposed to come out of you. If you got the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God working through you, just like John 15, and you connect to the vine, and the fruit's supposed to come out. And what's the fruit supposed to look like? Jesus. That's what it's supposed to look like. So, let me put it another way. Okay, not exactly the same, but I think it'll help you understand. If President Obama came and visited us today, well, some of you'd be pretty excited, right? Yeah, so would I. The president's here, right? So, president comes and he visits us. We would try to serve him. Okay, that would be humility, right? He's the president, right? So we're we're gonna serve him, right? Give him the best food we got, right? So sorry, kids. President goes first, okay? You know, he gets he gets lunch first, all right? Um, but okay, that would be putting him first. But what if he decided? even though he's the president, to make us lunch and serve us. Would he stop being president just because he was making us lunch? No, but what did he do? He humbled himself. He served us. He put himself below us, even though he is higher than us. Are you all with me on this? That's what Jesus did, except times 10 million. You you got it? And so he's still the same. Could he still tell someone over the phone while he's serving us lunch to do something in another country? Sure, because he has ambassadors for every country, right? So he could be here as president serving us lunch. That means he's humbled himself, but he still has the same power and could be saying, hey, yeah, you over in China, tell him this. You over in Afghanistan, tell him this, right? He's still got all those powers. All right? Jesus does too. So being humble doesn't take away from your powers. Rather, it shows even more how awesome that those powers are used in the, the characteristics. So just like last week we learned... That gentleness doesn't mean you're weak. On the contrary, it demonstrates that though you you have power, you're choosing to use it for good. You're choosing to use it for good to give mercy instead of harshness and show leniency. All right? So humility shows others love as we put them first instead of putting ourselves first. And humility shows surrender and submission. So you're separated from God, but you're also surrendered to God. Okay? If you're surrendered to God... Okay, who do you obey? You obey God. If you're surrendered to God, right? Isn't that what it means to be surrendered to God? So you would therefore obey God. All right? Now, that is humility before God. Okay? So you're separated from God. You're also surrendered to God. And if you aren't both of these, you don't really have humility before God. So, you know, you've got to ask yourself, do I understand about this separation thing? Do I understand about this surrendered thing? Because that's what it takes to have humility before God. And that's our, our first point we're looking at is humility before God. All right? It's the most important aspect. God, right? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Okay? It says, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. This is the Apostle Paul talking. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, satisfied. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Hmm. Now, we know that last verse, right? I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. But that last verse comes after the previous verse. And what Paul is saying is he has learned how to be content. Now, after the, the hyphen, the dash in the middle of the screen there... He says, whether well-fed or hungry, in abundance or in need, which one of those is the humble or lowly situation? The need. In need. Okay, that's that lowly situation, okay? So it can refer to you, you purposely put yourself under someone, or you could be in a, in a lowly, needy situation, okay? So in here, Paul discusses his humility. And that his affliction, okay, he'd been in some tough spots, some bad times. But he makes it clear that the virtue lies in the acceptance of his experience. So that a condition imposed from without becomes the occasion for the development of the corresponding attitude within. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about it. A condition imposed from without, okay, what caused Paul's hardship? Was it inside himself or outside of him? It was outside, okay? The condition outside, okay? is the development for the corresponding attitude within. Why does this matter? Because here's how God is going to help you develop humility. He's going to put hard times in your life. That's the situation on the outside. Okay? 
That's the occasion for the development of the corresponding attitude within. If you take a piece of steel and you beat on it with a piece of wood and you beat on it and you beat on it and you beat on it and you beat on it, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to break the wood, that's right. Okay? You're going to break the wood. Why? It's softer than the steel. The character of the steel, the inner part, it's what's inside the steel. Okay? Okay, you got the wood from the outside coming on the steel, right? Keep beating it, beating it, beating it, and beating it. But what's the steel made of? Made of means inside, right? The character of it. So what are you made of? See, when things come and beat on you, okay, what happens to you? When, when, it depends, right? All of us, right? When, when things kept, came and beat on Paul, okay, put the verse back up, Mark, the previous one, okay? When things come and beat on Paul, okay, what happens? He says he's learned in all circumstances the secret of contentment, and he's able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we quote that verse for football games and soccer games and ball games and whatever else, and what Paul is saying is, no. See, I'm the piece of steel, and the wood keeps beating on me. But the steel, the thing inside of me, it's not me, it's Christ. Christ is my steel. And so when I get beat on by wood, that's what you got to think about. It's just wood. I got Christ. I got the steel. That's the Superman, right? There ain't no kryptonite coming. It's just wood. He's got Christ, so he can do all things. That's what it's about. You can go back. A condition imposed from without becomes the occasion for the development of the corresponding attitude within. Jesus used this all the time with the disciples. They're in a boat with them. There's a big storm, right? That's the outside part. And Jesus used that to help them understand. Don't be afraid of the storm. I'm right here with you. Nothing's going to happen. The storm is nothing but a piece of wood. You got me. I'm the steel. Exactly. <clears throat> Humility before God is very, very important, okay? Let me show you a quick example of how humility can totally change your life for good. Ahab. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole story of Ahab, okay? Ahab was a bad dude, all right? Ahab and Jezebel, bad pair, okay? Queen, Queen uh, Jezebel, she married Ahab. They do a whole lot of bad stuff. But the reason I'm using them today is there is one thing that we can look to Ahab for good for. Ahab did something that really changed his life, benefited him, um, and it's noted in Scripture, this, this good thing that he did. Despite the fact, okay, before I tell you, despite the fact that him and his wife had, had pagan worship all through the country, all right, and normally when you read Ahab, in the Bible, it's in the, it's in the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 16 to 22. And usually, we don't focus on Ahab as much, we focus on Elijah. That's where, that's where all the Elijah stories are. But here's what you got to understand with Elijah and Ahab. Ahab is the king. Elijah is the... He's the prophet, okay? And what does the prophet do? He speaks for God, okay? And God sends the prophet when the king is off course. And the, and the point is the prophet is supposed to correct the king and get the king back on course. So here's what you really have, all right? When you're reading about Ahab and Elijah, you really got a war, all right? Ahab does something, and God sends Elijah. And Elijah tells him, fix it. And Ahab says, no, go away, all right? So Ahab does what he wants, and then God sends Elijah back. Fix it. No, go away, all right? And it goes back and forth. So if it's a war between um, Ahab and Elijah, it's really a war between Ahab and God. Bingo. Hello, right? So who's going to win? Yeah, we already know. God's going to win, right? This is the same thing every time. Okay, every prophet and king story, that's what it's about kind of, okay? And so what happens is we move along in this whole little story. All right, and Ahab, he does all these different things, all right? But then at the end, he does something in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 29. Look at this. Have you seen, okay, how Ahab has humbled himself before me? See, one of these times, Elijah went to him, and Ahab actually said these words. I am ruined. Or something close to it. 
All right. Who else just said that? What we talked about a minute ago. Isaiah. And what does I am ruined means? Yes, I am a sinner. I'm separated from God, and I'm going to surrender and submit myself to God, right? And so watch this. This is amazing, okay? Ahab humbled himself before me, and so look what God says. I will not bring the disaster during his lifetime because he's humbled himself before me. I will bring the disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. Yeah. It's good and bad, right? Well, here's the deal. What you have to understand is Ahab has done lots of bad stuff. And so there is a consequence for it, okay? But he ended up humbling himself, and so what God is doing is he's postponing the judgment. Okay, this can happen. You're like, oh, but his son's still going to have to deal with it. You're right. Well, his son would have had to deal with it anyways because his son's alive right now, you know? So the thing is, here's what you see. This is the gentleness of God that we talked about last week, right? Ahab deserves to be done, right? He's rebelling against God his whole time, right? But what does God do? does because Ahab humbled himself and this is what you need to understand you're not too far gone humble yourself that's what Ahab did we'll talk probably on Wednesday about another guy King Nebuchadnezzar same thing happened God totally had to humiliate him all right but then he finally humbled himself so this whole aspect here of humbling ourselves before God now I want to I want to go into another area now and talk about the humility in the lamb all right? Now, here's where we talk about Jesus. Remember what I said. Jesus, the Son, okay? The, he's with the Father. He's with the Spirit. And then he submits himself and he humbles himself and he comes to earth, okay? So look at Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Now, we saw this verse last week. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble. So there's both our words, right? Last week and today. And you will find rest for yourselves. He's gentle and he's humble in heart. That means at the core of who he is. The heart is the center of who you are, okay? At your core, all right? So Jesus is gentle and humble. Well, gentle, we learned last week, has to do with leniency, clemency, getting pardons. And humble, he, he's lowly, okay? So is Jesus all this pompous, arrogant, in-your-face, shove-you-down guy? No. No, not as a human being, especially. Not when he came as a man, right? Now, he does come as a king later. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But... Here he says, gentle and humble. And what do you find? You find rest. You want rest? Go see Jesus. All right? But watch what else he does, okay? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, the apostle Paul writes, and he says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient. So can you be disobedient and be humble? No. Obedience shows you're being humble. Your mom says take out the trash, and you say no. What are you doing? You're refusing to put yourself under your mom. You're saying, no, mom, I'm over you. I'm going to overrule you. I'm king of this place. What's that? That's arrogance. That's pride, right? And that comes before a fall, according to the scripture. So is that wise? No, no, that's that's the totally wrong attitude, right? Instead, what are you supposed to say? Yes, mom, I'll take the trash out for you. What are you doing? You're humbling yourself. You're putting yourself underneath, right? All right. So... <clears throat> Jesus, okay, he comes, he humbles himself, all right, as a man. Here's how you know you're being humble. You know you're being humble when you're being obedient. Why? Because if you're being obedient, you're putting yourself what? Under somebody else. Because you're doing what somebody else is saying, right? That's hard sometimes, right, guys? Could be a teacher, could be a parent, could be an older person could be one of your friends sometimes okay and of course it's god right if you're not obedient you're not humble because you have not surrendered your will to their will when you don't obey you're still trying to do your own thing literally you are fighting instead of surrendering since they're opposite all right now let's make that connection we keep saying humility is surrendering right what's the opposite of surrender fight yeah exactly so if you are refusing to humble yourself, that means you're still fighting. Right, so if I ask you to do something and you won't do it, and I say, why are you fighting me? You say, I'm not fighting you, Kevin. Well, are you? Are you fighting me if you don't won't do it? Reggie. Yes, because you 
were just asked or told to do something, right? So let's put it together, right? So you're asked or you're told to do something, right? And so to, to be humble or to surrender yourself or put yourself under them, right? And then you would go do it, right? But if you say, no, I'm not going to do it, well, then you're fighting them, which is the opposite of surrender, right? If you're surrendering, you're not fighting, right? So you're still fighting them, and you're trying to be the one to call the shots, right? Arguing, uh, it can be, yeah. It depends. It depends on, um, you know, the situation. Probably, you know, uh, Paul and um, Peter got into some arguments um, about some things about how to live out the Christian life. So that's that's one aspect. Um, but if it's somebody telling you to do something, uh, and you're supposed to be obeying them. Um, then yeah, that's the wrong kind. <laughs> so yeah. Um, that again, it kind of depends on the context, but generally speaking, the answer is no. If you were asked to go do it, so because delayed obedience is really disobedience, and disobedience, of course, is not surrendering yourself, right? So um, the thing is, and this is why you really need to learn this as a kid, and by kid I mean like at two years old, you need to learn this. Okay? If mom or dad says stop, what do you do? You stop. Yeah, and here's the illustration. The thing is, okay, so you're, um, you know, you're, you're riding your little skateboard, so you're probably not two anymore, you're five, right? Or your scooter, or you're trying to ride a bike, and you're riding on the sidewalk, and they say, stop. And you don't want to stop. And that's because you don't see the cars coming, and you're about to go into the street, right? So, see, that's how it is with life. We, we practice... Um, immediate obedience, and here's one of the practical aspects of it, okay? You can't see everything. So, if you do delayed obedience, which is really disobedience, which means you're not being humble, okay? Which means you're being proud and arrogant, which means you're fighting not only whoever told you that, but you're fighting God as well, right? So, here's what you're doing. As you do something over and over, you're creating habits, and habits create character. So, that's becoming who you are. And then when God says for you to do something... Guess what? You've already created a character and a habit. So are you going to do it right away, probably? Yes. No, because you've created a habit of not doing it right away. You see? But when God tells you, it's a little more serious, right? Yes. All right? So we have to learn this, this habit of immediate obedience. Okay? Immediate. Okay? When, when we're, we're asked to do something by someone in authority, or especially by God, okay? God is not going to bless us when we're being arrogant or proud, all right? Repeatedly in Scripture, okay, it says, as James chapter 4, verse 6 reminds us, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? That resist means he fights you, okay? So if you're being proud and arrogant, which really means you're already fighting, but God fights back. And who wins when God fights? God wins, okay? So you're going to lose. So you want to be a loser? No. Well, then stop being arrogant and proud, right? Be humble. What does he say? But he gives grace to the humble. So what does that mean? That means if you're humble and surrender yourself, submit yourself, he gives you extra grace, guys. I don't know. It's like bonus points, right? Extra love, extra favor, extra grace. That's why you look at these people in Scripture, and you're like, man, Peter blew it. You know what? You're right, he did. But Peter humbled himself. He surrendered to God. And so what does God give him? Extra grace. He'll do it for you, too. Yeah. Does he let you win sometimes? When you're fighting with him? Not usually, but I guess you got, you know, Jacob wrestled with him all night. and So, if you're wrestling for favor, maybe. But if you're wrestling over obeying... Uh, no. Over his plan, remember we talked a few weeks ago, God's purpose and his plan, that's always going to win, right? All right, so look with me at Philippians 2.8, okay? So Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, so how far do you have to obey or surrender? All the time. All the way. All the way until you're what? Until you're dead. Look at the example again. I can't stress this enough, okay? Jesus comes from heaven. He is God, and he surrenders. He humbles himself before the Father. Not because he's less. They're equal, okay? But he chooses to do so, all right, all the way to the point of death. All right? And who does he let kill him? The people that he created, the people that he came to save. 
So what should we be doing? We should be surrendered to the point of death, right? Obedient. No matter what. Right? And most of us, we're not going to die from, from doing this, right? So we should just be obedient, right? So even though he's God, he willingly surrendered and submitted to the Father so the plan and purpose of God would actually happen. And his part included dying on the cross. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Armageddon or not, but um, the only way to save the earth was to go blow up this giant asteroid, okay? It was going to wipe out the earth, all right? And so in the movie, um, there's some complications, okay? They send a shuttle up there, there's a crew up there, um, and they're going to fix the situation. But there's complications, of course. And so uh, the crew is going to head back, but um, one person has to stay if they're going to save mankind. And that person that stays is obviously not going to make it. So someone has to give up their life for everybody else to survive. All right? Now, it's a choice. You don't have to. All right? He chooses. I'll stay and I'll die. Everybody else can live. Or he can not choose to do that. All right? So we're talking, that's just a movie, right? Okay, we're talking the real deal with Jesus. All right? He came, he chose to die for mankind to be saved. All right? And it was the only way. That's what he did. So Jesus has shown us the way, the way of humility. We know he dies for us. <clears throat> you saw in Philippians 2.8. But look with me now how John introduces Jesus in John 1.29. In John 1.29 it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is chapter 1 of John. So John, right from the beginning, right out of the gate, okay? Jesus shows up on the scene, and John says he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why does he call him a lamb? What do you do with lambs in the Bible? You sacrifice them. Yeah, you sacrifice them. So he's the Lamb of God. Replace the word lamb with what you just said, Peter. He's the sacrifice of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John is there baptizing people. Who's all around him? Jewish people, other people, they're getting baptized. They all know their Old Testament, right? And, and John looks at Jesus and he says, here is the, the lamb, the sacrifice of God, who will take away the sins of the world. They all know what this is. Every year they slit a lamb's throat for the sins, all right? But the lamb never took away the sins. Jesus is the lamb who took away the sins. <clears throat> Watch this video showing Jesus's humility and sacrifice and how he serves. Do you 
new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Okay, so how is everybody going to know you're one of the disciples of Jesus? If you love one another, okay? So, so here's the deal, okay? In order to love one another, what do we have to demonstrate to each other? Which is? Humble. Humility. You have to have humility. You, if you go to each other, if I go to Mark as I'm always better than Mark, okay, then am I going to be showing love to Mark all the time? No. No. But they're Darius the same way. Or if Peter goes to Darius, or if Darius goes to Peter... If, if uh, brothers, Sam and Xavier, okay, if they're always thinking they're better than everybody else or better than each other, always got to best everybody, wh where's the humility? Where's the love? And therefore, no humility, no love, and what does the world see? They, yeah, they don't, they don't see Jesus, do they? And without seeing Jesus, are they going to get saved? No, they're not. And so here's what I want to do. Okay, I want to I want to connect this with the eschatological reversal. Okay, I know it's two big words, right? Eschatological. That means end times. All right. Let me let me show you why this matters. You want to win the game, right? All right. And that why you play games? You want to win, right? Who plays games to lose? Nobody. Right? You want to win, right? So here here's the deal. This is the eschatological reversal. All right. <clears throat> What goes on on the earth, guys, right, has consequences for later. Right? Now think about it. Jesus came to earth, right, but did he stay here? No. no. He went back to heaven. Okay? Remember, he's God. He became a man. When he went back to heaven, he is God and Lord. Okay? Now, now watch this. Look with me at Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Okay? One of the elders, okay, said to me, stop crying. Okay? This is like a scene in heaven. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious, so he may open the scroll and its seven seals. What animal is Jesus here? He's a lion. Now, what animal was he? Before you answer that, Revelation is written by the Apostle John. The Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John. What animal was Jesus in the Gospel of John? The lamb, right? Yeah, the lamb. So he goes from being a lamb, which gets slaughtered, to being the lion who rules the kingdom. This is the reversal, guys. Okay? That which is lowered is raised. What? No. It's a metaphor. Okay? So, that which is lowered gets elevated. Okay? If you try to put yourself up high, God says you get brought low. But if you put yourself low, what does God do? He brings you high. One of the first verses we looked at, David said that what did God do? God exalted him. Now remember, let's put that in context, okay? David twice had an opportunity to, king, to kill King Saul. And both times he chose not to do it. He lowered himself before the king who was trying to kill him. And he waited on God. And what did God do? God took care of King Saul. And then, in its proper time, God did what for King David? He elevated him. He made him king. He put him in the high spot. Okay? Look at Revelation 5, 6. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Here you go. This is the next verse. Standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent into all the heaven, or all the earth. Now, we're not going to break all that down. My point is this. Lamb and lion... Two verses back to back, okay? Jesus is the lamb and the lion, okay? Jesus was the lion to begin with. He humbled himself and became the lamb. And after dying on the cross, which you would think would be the end of it all, he was elevated back to the position of the lion. What did he do? He humbled himself and then he was exalted. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> okay? Humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, notice the hands. I actually love this, um, this graphic here, okay? Humble yourself. Remember, I said earlier that oftentimes in Scripture, if you make yourself big, God will do what to you? 
okay, he will knock you down, okay? So see the hand pushing down, okay? So if you don't want God to have to push you down, then what should you just go do? You get down, that's right, get down, he's king, okay? Humble yourself under him, and at the proper time, what will he do? He will pick you up and exalt you up. But it's his time, not our time. James 4, verse 10 says basically the same thing. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will do what? Exalt you. You put yourself down, he puts you up. All right? That's how it works. This is the great eschatological reversal. You may not ever become king or CEO or ruler or this or that here on earth, but what will you be in heaven? You will be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be a saint that rules and reigns with the lamb and lion himself. You will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Is there anything bigger than that? No. All right. Really quickly, I want to make just a couple of comments on the idea of humiliation, okay? Humility is always the proper posture before God and others. By contrast, humiliation is never seen as a virtue in Scripture, okay? It's often a punishment brought on by God. So the deal is this. Who gets humiliated? The people that put themselves up high because they refuse to put themselves down low. So if you don't want to be humiliated, then don't put yourself where? Up high. Put yourself down low and let God at his proper time put you up high. Otherwise, you get humiliated because you've got to get knocked down. Look at this one verse here in Isaiah chapter 5, verse uh, 15 and 16. Okay? It says, man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. So if you don't want to get knocked down and be humiliated, then don't pick yourself up. Don't try to take that high seat. Don't try to be the big man on campus. Don't try to be in charge of everybody. Don't try to be number one. Instead, put others first. Let others go first. Put yourself last. All right, so as we wind down, let me spend just a couple minutes here on humility before others, okay? This is how it gets practical, okay? This is where you struggle. Now, now here's the honest truth, though. The reason we struggle here is we didn't get the first part right, guys. And that's why I spent all that time on that. The humility before others, that'll come pretty easily, kind of, if you'll simply get humility before God. The reason that you don't put other people first the reason that you put yourself first is because you haven't put God first yet. When God's first, you'll put others first. All right? Look at Philippians 2, 3. It says, do... What's the next word? Nothing. Nothing. Say it again. Do nothing, nothing out of rivalry or conceit. What does rivalry mean? Competition. Competition, okay? It doesn't have to be revenge. It could be kind of like that, but more like Competition. Okay? You always got to be first. You always got to be right. Right? It says do nothing out of that. But instead, what's the next word? In humility. humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Now, can you imagine Stanley, Reggie, Gary, all you boys, if you always considered others more important than yourselves? What would that look like? Don't worry. It's, what's that? So instead, we have the opposite chaos. No, I'm going first. No, I'm going first, right? Wouldn't it be better if it was you're actually arguing over who's going first? Like you're trying to push other people to go first? Yeah, exactly, all right? So it's not just you guys. I'm just using it as an example. It's every one of us, right? All right? Put others first. Oh, no, you can have the biggest piece of pizza, man. Oh, no, no, no. That, the cake. No, you can have the cake. That's all good. I, I don't need it today, right? Put others first, all right? Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 35 through 45. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this whole story. I wasn't going, I was just going to read the verse, but you need to see the context. So pay attention and watch this, okay? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he said. <clears throat> they said, Allow us to sit at your right hand and your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We're able, they said. And Jesus said, 
Well, you're going to drink the cup I drink, and you'll be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not mine to give. Instead, it's for those as been prepared for. And when the other ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant. That means angry, ticked off, jealous, with James and John. And Jesus called them over and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate, they rule over them, and the men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a... Let's read that one again. Everyone who wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. Read the last sentence again. Oh, no. Must be a slave to all. All right, yeah, we don't like that word. Okay, that's the, that's the, the top level of submission and surrender. All right? We're going to do whatever you need done because I'm here to serve you. All right? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we're supposed to be like Jesus. That means we serve, guys. What did James and John want? They wanted the top positions. All right? And Jesus says this. Don't seek for the top positions. Seek to serve low positions. That's right. All right? We serve. All right? That's what we do. Luke 14, 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? That's what Jesus just said at the, at the end of that story. All right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Okay? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is the verse we just looked at. Okay? I want you to look at this highlighted portion. Okay? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So, when, when you get together, okay, when you go to school, when you hang out, whose interests are you most thinking about? Yours or other people's? Mine. Ours. That's, that's the truth for most of us, right? Okay, isn't that how most of us are? We're thinking about our interests. But what is the Bible telling us we're supposed to be thinking about? Other interests. Others' interests, okay? Guys, here's how we rock the world. Okay? We stop thinking about our interests and we start thinking about others' interests. Okay? So let me just finish with this, okay? C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. I really like this, okay? Because this ties in with what I was saying before. You do have worth, guys, you're not worthless. Jesus came and died to get you. You're his prize, okay? So you're worth something. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. The problem is we think about ourselves all the time, right? So instead, let's think about God first, others second, ourselves last, and maybe we'll end up with some joy, right? Jesus, others, you. All right? And you do that, and together we'll be able to say with the quote for the week that I choose to esteem others above myself. And it won't be a lie. It'll be true. That's what we want to be able to say, guys. All right? Esteem means to put others first, okay? To lift up, okay? So you choose to esteem others above yourself. That's what we want to be able to do. And, and we will. If we put God first, okay? Surrender ourselves to him. Be obedient. And then do what he calls us to do by putting others first instead of ourselves. All right? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this afternoon now and, and thanksgiving that you give us grace. It's amazing that you gave Ahab and Nebuchadnezzar uh, grace, Lord, in those situations. Um, but we, we desire and covet the same amount of grace, and so we're happy when it happens to us. So help us to be happy when it happens to others. And, Father, on top of that, I pray that, that we would have a renewed mind, that we would put you first, okay? We would surrender ourselves completely to you, okay? Have humility, and then we would do the same for others, that we would want to serve others instead of having them serve us. And for all those who may not even be saved here today, God, I pray the first thing you would do is get hold of their hearts, Lord, and cause them to surrender their lives to you. That's the first step.
And uh, if they don't understand that, then they come talk to us, help them to understand that they can have their sins forgiven, because Jesus is the Lamb who already died on the cross to pay for their sins. They just ask God to forgive them of their sins, to wipe them away, and believe that you died on the cross, Jesus, and then rose from the dead three days later, that they could be saved, make you your Lord, make you their King. For us Christians, God, help us that people would actually look at us and say, wow, they love each other, they love God. And then your name would be lifted high, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.